This is the recap, a review of the day's news in the Tri-States area for Tuesday, January 2nd, 2024. With Tri-States Public Radio News, I'm Mike Murray. The McDonough District Hospital Board of Directors voted to suspend the hospital's president and CEO. Tri-States Public Radio's Rich Egger reports. Brian Dietz will continue to be paid during the suspension. His salary is $550,000. The board says it's conducting an internal review. An anonymous letter sent to Macomb City Hall, county board members, and MDH board members, hospital employees complain of a toxic work environment, reckless spending, and a 41% increase in their health insurance premiums without prior notice. Mayor Mike Inman and County Board Chair Scott Schwerer both addressed the board during a special meeting late last week. They expressed concerns about morale at the hospital and the number of long-term employees who have been leaving. The hospital board named Vice President and Chief Financial Officer Bill Murdoch as acting an interim CEO. Dietz came to Macomb in mid-2018 to serve as the hospital's interim president and CEO. The board chose to remove the interim tag about nine months later. Rich Egger reporting. Macomb police arrested a man accused of sexually assaulting a juvenile. 24-year-old Willie Hughes is charged with aggravated criminal sexual abuse. Police say the girl was assaulted in May of 2022. It was reported to police in October of 2023. Hughes was arrested in mid-December following an investigation. He remains at the McDonough County Jail awaiting a preliminary court hearing scheduled for next week. A New Year's Day bomb threat in Galesburg turned out to be a hoax. Police responded to the Hy-Vee grocery store on Henderson Street on Monday morning. They found a device that had been delivered to the store with a pallet of grapes. The device had tape and wires attached to it. The store was evacuated, and a bomb squad from Peoria was called in to investigate. They determined there was no explosive device, just tape and wires around the grapes. Police say the hoax was a serious crime that caused significant disruption to the store. The incident is still under investigation. Illinois wants to help school districts expand their dual language programs. Illinois Public Radio's Emily Hayes reports. All three of Abdel Nasser Rashid's kids attend schools that teach Arabic, but only taking a few classes a week doesn't lead to fluency. He says dual-language schools, where half the classes are in another language than English, have the best results. We're talking about immersion and essentially being able to, to finish you know, middle school, um, ideally middle school, being proficient in both languages. Rashid is a state representative for the southwest side of Chicago. A law he sponsored requires the state's bilingual advisory council to create a report in the new year about how districts can expand and pay for dual-language programs. I'm Emily Hayes. Many hourly workers across Illinois saw a bump in their paychecks yesterday. The state raised the minimum wage for most workers from $13 to $14 an hour. The minimum wage for tipped workers increased to $8.40 an hour, while those under age 18 working part-time jobs got a raise to $12 an hour. The state has been phasing in minimum wage increases since 2019 and has one more to go in 2025 to get it up to $15 an hour. The national minimum wage is just $7.25 an hour and has not been raised since 2009. 
A group of Republican lawmakers in Iowa wants to ban carbon capture pipelines in the state due to concerns over land rights. One shared his concerns with Iowa Public Radio's Sheila Brummer. First-term Representative Ken Carlson, a retired farmer from Ottawa, disapproves of carbon capture pipelines. He says GOP members of the Iowa House recently held a caucus meeting, and the issue was not brought up by leadership. We're going to need to deal with this. It's just not right using eminent domain in this way. It's just not right. Carlson says there are other options that could be used instead of pipelines. It does not need to go in the ground in North Dakota. There are viable alternatives that can put money in the pockets of ethanol plants, farmers, and the state of Iowa. The Iowa Utilities Board hasn't ruled yet on the permit for a project by Summit Carbon Solutions to use a pipeline to transport liquefied carbon dioxide through 29 counties. I'm Sheila Brummer, IPR News. In today's feature, climate change is bringing more extreme weather to cities all over the country. For communities along the Mississippi River, that's flash flooding from heavy rains, longer and higher floods in springtime, and strangely, prolonged droughts like we had this year. Eric Schmidt reports for the Ag and Water Desk on how cities along the river are turning to each other for solutions. Birds chatter in the trees above the River de Pere Greenway in the southern part of St. Louis. On this mild December afternoon, a handful of children practice soccer in a park right next to the bike and footpath that follows the river. Sound enticing? Beatrice Chatfield says not so much. It's just like an eyesore. There's trash and like debris and muck in it. The River de Pere is less of a river and more of a large concrete drainage channel that winds from the Mississippi through the urban landscape before disappearing beneath St. Louis's largest park. Pedestrian Sam Rain says it's a nuisance. It's gross during the summer. It smells. We don't exactly like living right next to it. It can also be dangerous, especially closer to the Mississippi. Colin Wellencamp is the executive director of the Mississippi River Cities and Towns Initiative, which includes more than 100 communities. As the Mississippi River rises, the River de Pere then begins to back up into people's basements and yards and small businesses and into the city. Hundreds of homes have flooded in the past. Wellencamp says St. Louis should look to other cities in the river basin who've learned to work with water instead of against it. Dubuque, Iowa is one. Mayor Brad Kavanaugh says back in the 1990s and 2000s, his city had a major flash flooding problem. They had six presidential disaster declarations in 12 years because of heavy rains that caused repeated damage in one part of Dubuque. Somewhere along the line, about 100 years ago, somebody buried a natural creek and turned it into a storm sewer, and it wasn't keeping up anymore. Kavanaugh says they spent nearly 20 years bringing the creek back into the daylight to provide a safe place for stormwater to flow and reduce flooding. And it works. Kavanaugh says they renatured the Bee Branch Creek, planted trees, grass, and native plants, which has helped Dubuque avoid millions of dollars in damages when there's heavy rain. He visited St. Louis's City Hall to share how the region can replicate the success and make something that's more than just an ugly drainage ditch. People don't say that about the Bee Branch. It is a linear park. It's one of the most beautiful parks we have in the city. It is a place where people ride their bikes. It's a place where people go and watch the ducks and the birds. St. Louis Alderwoman Ann Schweitzer was inspired. Incredible presentation. I learned so much and I am so jealous. Jealous because she wishes St. Louis had done the same. You know, I couldn't wish all day that things like this had been started sooner, but we're here now and we have a responsibility. 
It's not cheap, though. The B branch in Dubuque had a price tag near a quarter billion dollars. But Midwest Climate Collaborative Director Heather Navarro says wetlands provide a lot of value. Whether it is absorbing floodwaters, helping filter pollution, reduce soil erosion. And so when you start to add up those numbers, that really starts to change the economics of the whole problem. She says it's worth the money. Projects like these are long-term investments. If you are going to increase the wetlands, for example, along a creek or a riverbank, and then, yeah, you can also use that for recreation, turn that into a park. And there's money on the table, billions from the Bipartisan Infrastructure Law and Inflation Reduction Act. Flooding challenges are everywhere in the Mississippi River Basin. Wellencamp says just about all of the communities he works with have tributaries connecting to the river. Some of them are big and some of them are really small, but all of them need attention. There is some restoration work happening in the River to Pair. The Army Corps of Engineers wants to build a large flood retention pond near the top of the watershed. But for now, it's just a plan. Meantime, St. Louis leaders say they're excited about the idea of bringing more nature to the entire River to Pair and plan to launch a study to figure out how. In St. Louis, I'm Eric Schmid. This story is a product of the Mississippi River Basin Ag and Water Desk based at the University of Missouri and is being distributed through Harvest Public Media. In the weather for our listening area for today, increasingly cloudy skies with a high in the upper 30s. Southwesterly winds at 10 to 15 miles an hour could gust as high as 25 at times. And for tonight, there's a slight chance of freezing drizzle around midnight. Should be mostly cloudy with a low in the mid-20s. For TSPR News, I'm Mike Murray. Tri-State's Public Radio is part of the NPR Network.